Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 109th episode of the Thought Sport Podcast. Um, we are only one episode away from the long-awaited 110th episode, so a lot of, lot of special things planned for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm here with the usual crew of Bart, Wyatt, Jared, and Lucas. Uh, we got a bunch to talk about today, some NFL, um, some sports and American culture stuff. We got um, plenty going on, but per usual, we'll start out with the news that we have missed um, the probably the biggest news the past week has been all the COVID scheduling craziness that's been going on. Uh, we've had some NFL games on very random days of the week. We had a Saturday NFL game. We have two on a Tuesday. We're currently recording on a Tuesday as yeah, there are multiple NFL games going on. A lot of NBA game postponements. NHL took a break, I think, like through the holidays or broke early for the holidays. There's questions they, about whether they said they're like, not doing yeah. the Olympics. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, which is pretty wild, because I feel like that's a, I don't know, that's a big part of the Winter Olympics to some extent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I feel like Russia's yeah. going to win now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, all the good Americans and Canadians mm. uh, won't play. Mm. And, like, a lot of good Russians play here, but, like, a lot of good Russians play in Russia. So I feel like they'll win yeah. now. Yeah, in the in the Winter Olympics, is Russia still, like... Are they still being penalized? Like, are they going to oh. be the Russian Olympic Committee? Oh, are they probably yeah. back to being Russia? I don't know. I don't know. No, I, I bet you they're still penalized. Oh, they're still okay. Yeah, they, uh-huh. they should be. I'm, I'm all for it. But anyway. <laughs> one thing, one thing that was yeah. nice about the scheduling is that the Seahawks didn't take up the Sunday slot where like the Cowboys play, so I actually got to watch the Cowboys play live. The wow. Seahawks—they always put yeah. the Seahawks on, and they're a terrible team this year. So it's like, all right, I'm not watching the Fox game. Go switch over to CBS. Hey. Jared got mm, his boys on. Week, Let's yeah, go. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think a crazy stat too. I think the Eagles have played in like half of all Tuesday night games in NFL history, which is like a weird stat. Yeah, because <laughs> they, they played in that Blizzard game one time when like 2011 yeah, or whatever. I was, remember that one. Yeah, I was in high school, I think, and it snowed like two feet in Philly, yeah. and they canceled the game. Um, and the governor, Ed Rendell, was like, we're a nation of wusses if we're canceling this game. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, play in the snow, but <laughs> he didn't. Um, and then they show on the broadcast tonight, the last time there were two Tuesday night NFL games, the Eagles beat the Cincinnati Reds so bad that the Cincinnati Reds folded. What? Wild. <laughs> so they were playing so. a different team? All right, they were playing a different sport, was that why? The Reds were playing baseball while the <laughs> Eagles were playing football? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Caused them confusion. But, yeah, interesting fun fact. Yeah, that's no, really that is a good fun fact. I support. Um, but yeah, moving on to some NBA news. We have Kyrie is back part-time now as a member of the Nets for only away games, only some away games or away games in states that, or cities that don't have uh, vaccine mandates. But of course, he didn't actually get to, you know, premiere this weekend because he's in COVID protocols with a bunch of other nets. Uh, so we'll we'll have to wait to see Kyrie on the court. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, less than twenty four hours between them announcing he was coming back and him having to quarantine. So <laughs> it happens. Tough. <laughs> but, um, in other news, we got bowl season is officially underway now. Um, some some highlights so far that, that I have down at least. Uh, Jackson State got embarrassed by a pretty mm-hmm. mediocre South Carolina State team, so they're having a really great week <laughs> until that, and I think knocked them down a peg. Um, otherwise, we had BYU, the highest ranked team I think to play so far, or at least mm-hmm. as of this weekend, um, lost to UAB, 
Um, so that was kind of fun. Oof. Yeah. Any others people want to call out? Um, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. I don't know if anybody watched that game, but uh, both teams were wearing gold, like mm-hmm. gold pants. So it was really hard to tell which team was which. <laughs> Um, I thought that was kind of funny. And it was on the blue turf. <laughs> so it was just like a, a color. Like, Wyatt probably would have hated that. <laughs> um, I think they dumped like a bucket full of potatoes for French fries on Are Wyoming's you coach when they won. <laughs> Hopefully not potatoes. That might hurt. Yeah, that's easier to clean. I think it might be good French fries, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be easier to clean, uh, to clean than mayonnaise in the Duke's mail bowl. Do you, yeah. do you guys know that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they give like They're the gonna, winner of the... Go ahead, Jared. They're going to dunk. The winner, both coaches have agreed that if they win the game, they'll get dunked in mayonnaise. They can take a Gatorade bath, it'll be mayonnaise. Which is disgusting. How do you escape but... from that? Yeah, it's, it's quite <laughs> yeah. viscous. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, in the, the you thought bowl game prediction so far, we have Bart in the lead at 7-5, and five, did you say, Jared? 7-4. Um, uh, so, seven seven four. Four. Oh, I'm sorry, Bart. Yeah, I undercut him. <laughs> he was so, like that. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll see if that holds up. Yeah, give it, give it another it week won't. or two. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in our last news we missed, we have a more NFL injury news. We had plenty last week. We have more this week. Chris Godwin's out for the season for the Bucks. Bucks are pretty depleted at this point, um, especially at some of those skill positions. Um, and tragically, Daniel Jones has been shut down for the season by the Giants because of a neck injury. <laughs> um, so Mike Glennon or, or Jake Fromm will have to lead the Giants to the Super Bowl instead. And, you know, I believe Jake that they Fromm, can. Jake, Jake, they Fromm? Can. Jake, Jake Fromm. Fromm's on the roster? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. He'll be I starting n- uh, next week. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think Mike Glennon got hurt as well. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the Eagles are playing Washington yeah. right now, and the Garrett Gilbert is starting at quarterback for Washington. Gilbert. And on Friday, <laughs> yeah, he was uh, <laughs> yeah, Friday he was on the Patriots practice squad, and then today he is are you starting. Serious? Yeah. They're like, That's we need crazy. a quarterback. They had no like, active quarterbacks on the roster. They were all either injured or in. They're running 17 10. Like a quarter left. <laughs> there were some bad things that happened early on, some dumb turnovers, but uh, Jalen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it happens. Yeah. But anyway. anyway, heading into our, our first big topic of the day. Speaking of NFL, we've been doing our every two weeks NFL power rankings. Uh, there's been, you know, plenty that's changed in the past two weeks. So we're going to start ranking them again. We got Bart up with the first pick. Who you got? I am going with the rolling Kansas City Chiefs. What? Uh, maybe this maybe this is NFC North bias, not taking the Packers. But I like the Chiefs. Yeah. Seven straight wins. They won against the Chargers, who I think we would agree are a pretty solid team. They've had some impressive wins over, including Jared, the Packers. I don't care that Jordan Love started that game. doesn't matter. <laughs> How does that not matter? fit my narrative. Um... No, I mean, the, like, Mahomes has looked really good recently. Kelsey went off in this game. I just think the Chiefs are, once again, a terrifying team in the AFC. They're probably going to win the whole conference. They're almost definitely going to win the AFC West. I like them at one. Yeah, a lot has changed since, I don't know, <laughs> was it seven or eight weeks ago and yeah. they were not sniffing the power mm-hmm. rankings. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but this, the second pick we got, Lucas. Well, I'm going to have to pick the Packers, I think. I think the top two teams in the NFL so far are obviously the Chiefs and the Packers. I 
also kind of agree with the Chiefs being first. They were number one on my big board this week, too. Mm. So I like to pick it apart. Yeah. Uh, the best record in the <laughs> NFL, though. It'd be a really good Ravens team this past weekend. Granted, they didn't have Lamar, but still. Aaron Rodgers is playing at MVP level. I think they're an obvious top two choice. That being said, while their offense is elite, I do worry a little bit about their defense and the sort of form they've had recently. In the last four games, they've allowed 30, 30, 28, and 34. So mm. worth looking out for, but with Aaron Rodgers playing as well as he is and with the team being as good as it is, I don't think it should be a huge problem. But Packers at two. The only thing, uh, Lucas, as far as the Packers goes, Jair Alexander is set to return here soon. Yeah. He's activated off of the IR, so he, he has about three weeks to actually come back to the team. <clears throat> at yeah. number three... Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> at number three, I have the only pick that could possibly go at three, the Indianapolis Colts. Oh, no. Jared, last time we did the power rankings, <laughs> you challenged me, and you said, who have they beat? And they haven't even beat a top 10 team. Yes, they had, actually. They had beat the Buffalo Bills. And who they who, they weren't in our top 10, though. Anyway. At some point in the season, they were. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they beat the, what, last time, it was like the number two or number three ranked New England Patriots. Mm. What mm-hmm. more do they have to prove to you for the number three <laughs> team? I know we're laughing, but what other team could possibly go here but the Colts? Name one. You can't. I'll name one. Well, I'll name yeah. one here with Get, the... Gives uh, us a second to respond. <laughs> <laughs> I'll name one here. Uh, the team I have fourth here, the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Wyatt, Wyatt did his little homework pick. I'm putting the Cowboys here. For all the talk that Dak is in a slump, which is very fair criticism, this offense is still first in the league in yards per game, second in points per game, and their O-line play has been excellent throughout the season. They're on a three-game winning streak, and their young defense with Micah Parsons, Trayvon Diggs, just continues to play well well and take the ball away. They're, they're second in the league in turnover differential. Behind who? Which, behind the Colts, I'll give you that. I will give you that. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I think the Cowboys, they're only one game away from that first-round buy in the playoffs. They, I mean, every team would benefit from having that first-round buy right now, but I think the Dallas Cowboys would especially, hopefully getting Zeke some time off. So I think the Dallas Cowboys here are, are the fourth-best team. Yeah. yeah, I have the fifth pick, and it was easy because the third and fourth were pretty much guarantees. I think we had <laughs> <laughs> we knew We knew who Wyatt and Jared were picking. Uh-huh. Um, I think the fifth pick still is kind of difficult though or there are a couple teams that you could toss in there um i'm gonna say the rams at the moment i think they've got a little bit of momentum they're currently playing as we record uh so depending on the outcome of that maybe maybe things would change uh but they thrashed the jags to kind of get back on track after three straight losses um they had impressive win against the cardinals uh so they've they've looked a bit more like themselves they've also been leaning on their running game a bit more uh with sony michelle has been promoted uh, after Daryl Henderson Jr.'s injury. And he's looked pretty good in the starting role and has been freeing Matt Stafford up for um, some play action stuff. So I'm, I'm curious to watch their last three games. They're not, like, against the best of the best, but all against very good teams, um, or at least good teams, the Vikings, the Ravens, the 49ers. Uh, so it'll be inter- interesting to see if they survive it. Um, but, yeah, they're my fifth team this week. Heading back up to the top, Bart. I'm going with the Bucks here. I think I feel what? like I mentioned I mentioned the Bucks a lot. Does that shock you? I also had him at six. I uh, I really think the Saints loss is not that concerning. First of all, New Orleans for some reason just like has Tom Brady's yeah. number. Not really sure why. 
Uh, second of all, they lost Chris Godwin for the season we mentioned. They lost Mike Evans also in the second quarter. They lost Leonard Fournette in the third quarter. Just a bunch of injuries. I don't think this is normal. I think normally if the Bucks played the Saints, they would put up a lot more than zero points. It was, what, Tom Brady's third shutout of his career? Something <clears throat> absurd. Anyway, so yeah, I, uh, the Bucks still have some really solid wins on their resume within the past like, month or two months, so I'm not super worried about it. I like the Bucks at six. Mm-hmm. If Chris, if I told you Chris Godwin's out for the ACL, does that bother you? Scotty, whatever his name is. Scotty is... Miller. Scotty too hotty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He'll make up for it. I don't know if Antonio Brown will ever play again, but he's a thing too. He's coming back. They're bringing him back. Is he? Yeah. Because okay. Bruce was saying or said like last year that he was like, Antonio Brown's not getting a second chance. Yeah. Oh, we're not. You know, if he screws up. And lo and behold, fakes his vaccine card and... Seems he's getting a second chance. Yeah, so Tom Brady pulled uh, Bruce Arians into his office. Anyway, at seven, Lucas. I picked this team a lot this year. I think I have like favorites when I do the power yeah. rankings. I like the Rams a lot, and yeah. I like the New England Patriots yeah. a lot. Mm. I think we have maybe unfairly punished them a little bit for the loss to the Colts. Um, it, you know. They lost to a good team. I think they dropped maybe a little further than they should. I might have had them above the box, but again, they're still putting together an excellent season. Um, the coaching job Bill Belichick has done this year has been incredible. Mac Jones is almost certainly going to be rookie of the year. What they have a stellar. Sorry? I said, what team are we talking about? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> He's hadn't named them yet. I uh, know. <laughs> um, but the, uh, they've been, they're an easy choice for the top 10. They have good wins over the Titans, Bills, Falcons, and Browns before the Colts <laughs> lost, so. Patriots at seven. Easy. Well, if the Falcons is a barometer for uh, victories <laughs> and for what team deserves to be in the power rankings and what team doesn't, I have a pretty good list for you. Uh, 49ers, actually, are going to hit the eight spot here. Oh. They have, they have one, two de facto playoff wild card like, elimination games with the Vikings. They have the tiebreaker there. And Lucas, you challenged them as well with a de facto elimination game, playoff game with the Falcons. And they won that as well. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty much, if they keep winning, which it looks like they will, George Kittle has looked absolutely incredible. Debo Samuel is one of the most versatile players behind Cordell Patterson, maybe, maybe in front of Cordell Patterson in the NFL. Kyle Shanahan, of course, is Kyle Shanahan, and Nick Bosa is the comeback player of the year. They have a lot of pieces right now going for them. And I think that they deserve to be in our top 10 this week. This their first time in the top 10, but they've done it. Yeah. My favorite yeah. Niners stat or my favorite Debo Samuel stat is that he has seven rushing touchdowns this year, including That's six crazy. in his last five games. So, wow. yeah, he's leading the team, which would be the, say, like, the first time since like, the merger, apparently, like that a he, wide uh, receiver would lead the team in rushing TDs. So. Yeah. And you said six in the last, like, five weeks. I was like, I yeah. feel like he just started running, becoming the running Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> yeah, it's heavily correlated with the 49ers, like, winning streak. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So I actually had the 49ers as the ninth pick here. So I had more stats for them than I have the team in front of them. You can back up my pick if you want to. <laughs> I will back it up. The, you know, the 49ers entering this week lead the league in yards after catch per reception, which is kind of sounds like a heavily qualified stat, but it just goes to show that they have playmakers on, on the outside. And like the Chiefs lead the league in yards after catch, but because they throw it so much. They're, they're ahead um, in yards after catch. But per reception, the 49ers are really efficient with how they get how they get guys in space. And Jimmy G, by the way, better passing rating than passer rating than Tom Brady. 
Justin Herbert, Mahomes, Dak, Josh Allen. That's kind of crazy. Um, but I, I, enough about the team that just got picked. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to pick the Cardinals here. Quite the fall from grace, but anytime you lose to the Lions, you are gonna drop serious <laughs> spots. I know they haven't had D Hop, but they're not going to until potentially even like the NFC Championship game. So we have to judge them on what product they're putting out right now. And I think this is fair. They're they're on a uh, at least two game losing streak, maybe three and um, two. two. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, they they definitely need to to turn some things around. They they got Kyler Murray playing like they shouldn't be playing that poorly. And sorry, just to piggyback on the Cardinals uh, sock train. <laughs> they they do this every year where they get rolling and then they hit a point in the year where Kyler Murray hit, gets an injury or he like sits out for some sort of some amount of time and then they never get back to where they were. Mm. And I'm not saying that they, it's impossible because they have a, a handful of weeks left here in the NFL, but I would not be shocked if they continued to like stumble a little bit as the rest of this year goes. Mm. And that's why I think they're justified at nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, 12 is like the fewest that the Lions have given up all year, right? It's, <laughs> it's just like you have Kyler Murray, it's, it's unacceptable. Yeah. Oh anyway, to finish us off at 10, uh, I was, I've taken the Chargers, considered the Bengals here, um, but I'm taking the Chargers because they pretty easily took apart the Bengals a few weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. The Chargers have kind of recovered after a bit of a midseason slump. They did lose last weekend in OT, uh, but it was the team we have at number one. So I don't think we really penalize for them for that. And they've been very like inconsistent all year, but they're still like a scary team or potentially scary team to face in the playoffs. They've played a lot of good teams, the Cowboys, the Chiefs, the Patriots, close. Um, they beat the Chiefs earlier in the year, I believe. So they're definitely a threat. Um, and I think more of a threat than the other contenders for the spot, like the Bengals or the Titans or the Ravens right now. Yeah, I, I actually had all the teams. That was my like top ten. Every team we listed. Yeah. There's no team that made mm-hmm. it in that I didn't have. A yeah. little, slightly different order, but yeah. Like, I'm just glad the Titans and Bills. Every other program <laughs> like like Bleacher Report and ESPN and all, they all love to put the Titans and the Bills in there, and they just, you know, Titans like just keep losing, and the Bills are hot and cold. So yeah, and yeah. it does, doesn't make sense. The so. Bills highs <laughs> are crazy high, so like their yeah. averages are really good. But, um, yeah, they've just been too inconsistent. Yeah. By the way, Matt Breida picked you up in fantasy. One rushing yard. I got 0.1 points in my fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Playoff oh, games. And why I won this week by 0.1 points, so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was <laughs> worth it. Yeah. yeah, it was worth it. What a pickup. <laughs> uh, but we're going to go back to Wyatt now uh, for a special award we're given this week for the honorary power ranked team of the week. Team that's not power ranked, but in our hearts is, is definitely power ranked. Hmm. Jared, put some triumphant music behind this. Okay. <laughs> in two weeks, two back-to-back power ranking weeks, one team has has stood up to the challenge of finding their way onto the power ranking, and we have finally decided to award them that uh, honor of being our honorary power ranked team of the week. We're probably the one time we'll only do it. We love blue collar. We love, you know, the oils and raggedy fingers and and all the lunch pails and all that stuff high-rise scaffolding building construction and what who does it better than motor city detroit themselves mm-hmm. <laughs> like i said in two back-to-back power ranking weeks or this time and two weeks ago they won and every and it seems like now that they're kind of catching on to a trend here don't be surprised if in two weeks from now right the lions find a way to, to steal out one more victory here before the end of the year 
<laughs> I mean, I'd be honest. They're probably not. I don't know their record will say otherwise. They're not the worst team in the division. Mm-hmm. And they're five games out from second place. So my, my take still stands. But You're saying the Bears are? <laughs> yeah. Presumably? Yeah, the, oh, Bears, the, the Vikings. Not the Vikings. The Bears are the Bears are the worst team in that division. And Lions mm-hmm. now take the third worst team in that division. Congratulations, <laughs> Lions. Hey. Yeah. Good for them. Wait a minute. <laughs> Can I just say I'm really happy for Dan Campbell? Yeah, me uh, too. I yeah, I wasn't sure about the that hire in the off season, but it seems like they just love him like the players do. So who cares that they're two and ten or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> Keep no, I mean, look, they they're a couple full goals away from at least two wins. I think I said that. Like yeah. Two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. yeah. They probably easily be four have four wins on the season so far. You know. And you know what? If they get the number one and number two overall pick, they'll probably get a stud edge rusher. And then next year we'll be talking about him again. Panay Sewell, by the way, although no touchdowns, is one of the best pass blockers uh, in the league. Just not just rookies, statistically across the entire league. So they're looking good. Yeah. So do you think? Do you think? Do you think this is on the coordinators that Dan Campbell? Like he's a good motivator, good philosophy guy, but he needs to get better coordinators, or they just don't have enough talent right now. Well, I think he's calling the plays right now. To be honest. Okay, yeah. So maybe Otherwise, maybe Anthony that needs Lynn. to change. I don't know. <laughs> well, he took it. He took it away from Anthony Lynn, right? But mm-hmm. I, I I said it when he got like a little bit after he got hired. Is I just don't think he's the village idiot because Sean Payton hired him to be his assistant head coach. He's, yeah, he's clearly like a high level guy, you know. Okay. And they play with a lot of fire. So yeah, I Jared, Jared, I definitely think they just need more talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. Well, we've already talked about both of them tonight. The 49ers and Titans, they're playing each other on Thursday night and barring, you know, COVID changes. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we're going to go through as per usual and make our Thursday night football predictions. Um, yours truly will be beginning. Um, I have the Niners 30 to 20 in this one. I think the Titans, yeah, as we've mentioned, have been flailing of late. They won one of their last four. Um, though it was a fun one. It was the shutout that ended Urban Meyer's career. Uh, so that was, you know, a, a good one. Uh, yeah. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, in their in their last three losses, the Titans have scored 13 points in each of those games. So, um, not feeling very lucky right now. Uh, and obviously, the main factor is the depleted offense. No Derrick Henry, no AJ Brown, who's maybe coming off the IR this week, but maybe not. Um, and the Niners, as we've talked about, super hot right now. They've scored um, tw- at least 23 points in each of their past six games. I think their offense is just honestly too is way more explosive at the moment than the the titans who just cannot score uh so even on a short week trip to the east coast i'm taking the niners bart you basically just took my notes mm-hmm. and reworded them uh, <laughs> i agree you should, you actually... should change your your password on that uh it's too easy to copy and paste oh man maybe yeah maybe i'll do that next week although usually i start and so then i get to sound smart anyways my score is really similar to yours mine was 27 29ers because as you mentioned the short trip or the short week and the trip to the east coast i don't know that i'm convinced about the niners defense which is the reason i think that the titans might still be able to keep it within one score but overall yeah i think the niners offense right now is just really potent and they're going to be able to win this one, uh, despite the fact that some people think the Titans are still a better team. I don't know. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Aiden. Yeah. Wyatt? Uh, three for three for the Niners so far. I'm going to go 24-17 San Francisco. 
kind of I don't know why I thought this would be a juicier pick or that somebody would have picked the Titans before me, but uh, yeah, they're spiraling. And Jared put out the stats about having the most yards after catch per reception. I mean, with Brandon Ayuk, they could switch him for Debo Samuel, put him in the backfield, put Debo on the outside. I think they'd still be just as dynamic. They have those type of guys. Um, they just schematically are better. The Titans. Julio, I think, is on IR or something like that. He's just going to be out for a while. A.J. Brown can't stay healthy. Derrick Henry hasn't come back yet, if at all. I don't know. It's just, it just kind of just doesn't seem like it's in the Titans cards. So 49ers, 24-17. Yeah. Jerry. yeah, I don't really have much new to add here. I picked the 49ers as well, 27-15. Hmm. Yeah. And Lucas, will we go for the, the clean sweep? <laughs> Yeah, we're going to have to. I, uh, I really wanted to because I think I'm in sole possession of second place now. Yeah. Picks, which is true. So I could have made up some ground on Bart this week. But I'll save it for a closer game. Um, I went Niners 26-13. Aiden alluded to it before. In each of the Titans' last three losses, they've scored 13. So I think the streak continues. Again, <laughs> nothing much new to add. Uh, yeah. The Titans are just floundering recently, and the Niners are surging. So I don't see anything about that changing. So Niners 26, Titans 13. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure Tennessee has received our message loud and clear. Uh-huh. Uh, hopefully April uses to uh, pump up the team this week. But Exactly. Anyway, that's, that's it for our NFL talk of the week. Now we're on to college football. There's been a lot of action of late in the college football transfer portal. We had 280 FBS players enter the portal since December 1st. Um, Guys have been flying all over the place. It's been kind of crazy. Definitely a lot crazier than usual, especially with the the NCAA having permanently uh, made it such that players don't have to skip a year uh, once they transfer. So Jared, is the portal out of control? Absolutely not. I, as much as I wanted to say yes here, I honestly just was hard-pressed to find good rebuttals here. Most of the arguments around the transfer portal right now are um, promulgated, I guess, by the uh, by the coaches. And they're mostly like philosophical and about life lessons, like seeing something through and all that sort of stuff. But I just didn't really like that as a reason to use that the transfer portal is out of control. Let's take... <clears throat> Like, situations change. Let's take the Bo Nix story, for example. He's a five-star recruit that commits to play for for Gus Malzahn over in Auburn. He gets recruited by Kenny Dillingham, who was the Auburn offensive coordinator at the time. Now, a couple years later, fast forward to 2021, he gets benched by a coach that he barely knows that comes in, Brian Harson. He gets benched in uh, one of their games against Georgia Southern, I believe. And one of the top reasons, like, think about it from a normal – I mean, these these athletes are kind of like employees at this point, right? So one of the top reasons employees leave their job is because of a manager change, or they don't like their manager. So I think mobility in a general in a in general is a good thing here. Like most players, <clears throat> the yes, you're committing to a situation, and that situation can drastically change. And I don't blame players for wanting to get out of that. And in reality, like we focus on the high profile people that are transferring, but most people that enter the transfer portal find that the market's not as hot for them as they thought and just end up staying e- either end up staying or uh you know they have to find like they go down downhill essentially like to a lesser program so i still definitely think there are suggestions to improve or here's another actually pro about the transfer portal i do want to say is it keeps it keeps coaches from over promising 
because if you overpromise and they can just leave like literally that first year, which we kind of mm-hmm. saw right maybe with the uh, what's his name Quinn Quinn Ewers that just transferred yeah. from Ohio State to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, like coaches, like you used to be able to just overpromise. You lock in that recruit for four years, and yeah. sorry, you can't leave unless you want to sit a year. Um, no. So now you know if you overpromise and say yeah you're gonna get play time right away and you don't, then he can go that you can leave for greener pastures. Um, obviously, I think there is something to be said for the grass is greener where you water it, but mobility in general is a good thing. And if you commit to a situation and it drastically changes, I'm not going to fault the athlete <clears throat> for wanting to do that. I'm, I'm gonna I'll leave it there. I hope some people disagree, or maybe I have to bring up some points for the the counter argument. But <laughs> I hope it gets heated in some way. What do you guys think? <laughs> I think I, I mostly agree. I'll start tepidly. There are maybe some disagreements and we can bring them in later. But I think overall, like you said, it's a good thing. I think like having more mobility is always good. Having people, you know, have the choice to where they play is always good. Like a college student can transfer at any time. Like why should a football player be forced to have to sit out a year? Like you don't like if I in college had decided to transfer from Notre Dame to Northwestern, like it would have been weird to make me sit out an academic year <laughs> until I could join again. So like that rule never really made sense, I think, in the sense of football. And so I'm glad that they've sort of done away with it. And players have the mobility. So while I think like the underlying currents of like while this is happening are good, it does just feel a little weird to me, like for no other reason than I feel like a lot of like what I like about college football is like the consistency and like the buying into a culture. And it feels harder to build a culture when guys can just leave left and right. Like it, we talk about this a lot, but it's, I think just another aspect of the professionalization of college football, but to the extent that like essentially every player is now a free agent on a one-year contract, which is crazy. Like you can just leave at any time. Um, And so I think in that sense, like, like culture and like building and growing together, like maybe matters a little less than it used to. But I think that that's a fine sacrifice for players not being stuck in awful situations. Yeah. Sorry. I don't want to also agree. The only thing is, is we keep talking about the players that leave, but we don't, we haven't talked about any players that are programs that gain like Brian Kelly essentially can, can flip around LSU a lot quicker because they can gain people from the transfer portal. And I know that a lot of colleges, like, I mean, I don't know. Do we want to just feed the SEC all the time? I'm not really sure how anybody stands on that because that's pretty much where a lot of people are going to go. But mm-hmm. um, just to piggyback on what Jared said is that coaches can leave whenever they want to. And I think that maybe there's a mobility problem with coaches as far as those contracts don't matter at all. They can mm-hmm. leave whenever they can just leave before these bowl games. These kids shouldn't be forced to stay in programs and be coached by people they don't, they don't want to be coached with. If anybody leaves from LSU because they don't want to be coached by Urban Meyer or uh, excuse me, <laughs> Brian Kelly, they probably <laughs> they probably chose LSU because Brian Kelly was at Notre Dame and like, well, they probably had a chance to go to Notre Dame originally, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just don't really see the problem problem with it. Again, I actually think the mobility issues with the coaches and not with the players at all. Okay, so one thing that nobody has mentioned so far, which surprises me, is the scholarship problem. That seems like the biggest downside to all of this, as far as I can tell. It's nice in theory, the fact that you are you can be mobile and you can just transfer, but the fact of the matter is that the NCAA restrictions right now make it kind of difficult in practice because you can't just transfer to a school and accept a scholarship if they've already maxed out their scholarships for that year, for instance. And mm-hmm. you give your and you, you give your school back a scholarship if you leave, 
but only under certain conditions can your previous school actually use it to find a new player. So that mm. makes it really difficult, especially if you think about it from the perspective of a coach. Like the 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 deadline alignment or the date alignment on the on the calendar makes it really difficult because players oh, yeah. will start leaving, and you don't actually know who we have to be replacing or whether you'll have the scholarships to do it because of the fact that the transfer portal is so fluid now. So I think that is definitely one big downside. And that's not to mention what we were just talked about, which is that a lot of players are going to start flocking to the SEC if they can. Like, NIL is going to make this crazy because now, like, yeah, as, as Lucas said, you're just a free agent, and if you get offered, like, a better deal, quote-unquote. But uh, I think the core problem is that, like, it's not even – a lot of players' careers will just end because they'll go into the portal thinking they can find a better, like, greener pastures, and then they just won't be able to find a school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to piggyback off that too, it's the transfer portal can potentially take away opportunities from high school recruits, uh, high school recruits, mm-hmm. as the coach is likely going to favor a more developed transfer that can take away a spot and like play right away. And I think mm-hmm. that's going to take away some opportunities for some high school players. A couple other things I read just from various websites, like um, arguments against it, is. Coaches can, like a, a coach that comes into a new program is kind of incentivized to run off players into the transfer portal so they can get those recruits and use it on their own guys now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you're also going to have coaches recruiting off of current rosters. Like, how are they going to enforce that? Like, you come into the, the after-game handshake, I'll be in touch, you know? Yeah. And then there you go. Now you just, you start you start the recruiting process. Or you tell your players, yeah. like, Get this guy over to freaking LSU. He needs to be in LSU right now, right? It'll be like yeah. the NBA tampering enforcement. Yeah, it's going to be like... Yeah, yeah. But, there has, but there has to be yeah. an anti, anti-tampering rule. I mean... Which will but, never... I don't know if they're ever going to be able to enforce that, though. Yeah. I think that they could. Because here's the thing. The so athletes NCAA, can't talk to each other. <laughs> it's going to be But athletes always talk to each other. I mean, even in the NBA... You don't think that, like, when Kevin Durant signed with the Brooklyn Nets, like, at midnight, whatever, you don't think that people are having contact, like, there's some ways to get around it, and there's some ways where you can find a way to, to make it work, but the NCAA doesn't do anything but hinder the ability of players and teams to, like, actually build something, because with the whole scholarship rule, and, you know, I just think it's a problem structurally, and not necessarily a problem with the idea itself. That play, that players can kind of go wherever they want. The NCAA structurally to just be able to let almost like cap space, I guess you can call it. Like they have to have an ability to get these players quote under contract and uh, have like these ca- this contract with cap space and ability to to bring in new talent. I don't exactly know how the structure would look, but the NCAA should do something about it because they know that this could be more fluid. Instead of just completely bottleneck bottle capping or bottlenecking like the ability for players to move and the ability for coaches to build programs. Hmm. Here we go. This is this is a suggestion I want to throw out here. I actually do like like players technically were not forced uh, to stay out of bad situation, right? You could transfer, mm-hmm. but you had to sit a year. Mm-hmm. I actually mm-hmm. do like that you have to sit a year personally. And I this is my this is my um offer right here is that players have to sit a year they cannot transfer within the conference they have to go to a different conference but coaches also in their contracts have a one-year non-compete clause where if they want to break their contract they cannot coach for a year they have to sit out a year and this is how ceos are structured right and coach coaches basically are ceos let's be honest how much money they get paid and let's look at it from the standpoint of i'm sure like the coaches would have an uproar about this but 
Brian oh, Kelly, for example, has coached 31 seasons. So one year is 3% of his career. A player sitting out one year is 25%, maybe 20% mm-hmm. if they redshirted. So I think that's I think that's a that's a fair trade off there. If we want to, if we want to like say okay, this both ways helps build a program where the coaches are committed, the players are committed and helps build a program and a culture. Thoughts. Coaches would, yeah. coaches would yeah. burn down buildings. No, because like for, for yeah, players, it at least kind of makes sense in the sense that like you think it's worth it for yourself because you you are presumably moving to a better situation. But like coaches just want to go get paid more, like they and they want to like you know try new things in the school. You know they, they yeah they just like want a new experience. And you can't like I think there's just like a there's a very big uh, culture on coaching changes of like, you know, you have your guy and you just want to grab him and hire him right when you can. Whereas if you had to wait a year, colleges would be hiring randos all the time because they wouldn't, or you'd just find, yeah, is that a good, really, that's a good thing. Find really stellar coaches sitting out for long periods of time until a cool school pops up. I don't know. I mean, is that great? That's a good thing. That's giving more, it's giving more people opportunity though. That probably don't have it in the current model. I mean, okay, if you want to dive into the conversation of, like, nepotism and all that good stuff, (laughs) yeah, fair, but I don't know that I love that. I guarantee you coaches wouldn't go for it. But like Wyatt said, what's the point of having a contract if it can be broken at literally any point? No, I mean, I'm I'm not disagreeing that there should be a punishment. I just don't know that that's the punishment. Why not? It's three percent of it's three percent of your career. If you made it financial, I think that would probably be just as effective. And I don't know, but the schools more. the schools always chip in for the financial thing, right? Like the buyouts, technically we'll buy the coach has to pay it, or whatever. right? Technically the coach <laughs> is the one that's supposed to pay the buyout, but the school just helps you with that. Right, I mean, that's fair. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if there is a way to really make it. There probably is, but how do you, I don't know how you make it financially. I think this is, I think yeah. this is a way, all right, if you want to be committed to the contract you signed, this is the punishment if you want to break it. The buyouts don't mean anything yeah. anymore. Right, the 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 buyouts they will, any school will throw money at those buyouts nowadays. Mm-hmm. It does not matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like my coaches s- would sign yeah. like a one on one, like LeBron does. You know, like he did with the Cavs. <laughs> I signed one year deals with the, with a coach's you, option every other year. Yeah. You could, but then if I'm a recruit, oh, this guy's on a one year yeah. contract. I'm not going. I'm not going to go to that school. I don't know if he's going to be here. Oh, the, and I see James Franklin. He's on a ten year contract. Sure, I'll play at Penn State. <laughs> Yeah. But as Did we were you, just saying, contracts don't mean anything. Sorry. That's, no, yeah. but in this in this in this example, though. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's yeah. better. In it's better system. for sure. I would love to see. This is sort of t- only tangentially related, but on the focus of like coaches and, and their contracts, I'd love to see more contracts structured like Mark Stoops at Kentucky's. Has anybody heard of this? So he doesn't have like a limited contract for time. It's if they have a fu- if they go above five hundred, he gets one year added to his deal. <laughs> And if he wins more than 10 games, he gets two years added to his deal. And it just keeps accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. Um, but so if they're below 500 for like five straight years and he's banked up five straight years, like it expires. But otherwise, so I, I like more performance-based things like that. And I think there's like a, more of an equity to that mm-hmm. for both yeah. school and coach than there would be. Again, only tangentially related. Yeah, but. yeah. Just feels like with the like big name coaches, again, they wouldn't like... Oh, right, like not. that could totally work for a guy who's trying to prove himself to some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's to stop the school though from? That is. What's to stop the school from? Oh, you have a less than five hundred season. We're actually going to get rid of you now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is it just they have to pay a buyout? 
yeah, or severance for however many years are left on the contract. Yeah. yeah, yeah, under the contract, I guess. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's actually yeah. that's that's interesting. I encourage yeah. more coaches to pursue Nick Saban's thing, which is pay me the average of the top five coaches in my conference. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty easy to get. Yeah. <laughs> That's so I hear no counter. I hear no counter arguments no. on the uh, uh, one-year non-compete clause. I'm taking this mm. to the NCAA. Mm. <laughs> I definitely counter argument the player should sit a year, though. I I really do think it's like the only. Is sports... it a redshirt year, Jared? Yeah. Uh, well, it depends on how far they in, in into their career, I guess. No, should it? Like, if somebody's a. That would mean you could only transfer after your freshman Jared, or sophomore let me year. Lay out a, lay, let year. me lay yeah. out a, a scenario for you. Junior year, you're a, you're a junior at Notre Dame. <clears throat> Brian Kelly leaves. You decide to transfer because you don't want to be coached with anybody but Brian Kelly, so you want to go to LSU. You don't get the redshirt year. You have to come back for a senior year. <laughs> or you can't compete at all. You can't play out your junior year and then go play or opt for the NFL. Okay, so you can use can you, you can use the sit-out rules of redshirt year. Okay. So what you if your coach a, you leaves? Gain a year, sort of. If your coach leaves, you still have to sit out a year. Maybe not to tamper with it. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll get to the chalkboard. Like, back, back to yeah. the lab. I mean, apparently it only existed like when the NCAA got rid of it. It only still existed for football, basketball, <laughs> and I think it was hockey. So like the big money oh. makers for yeah. like the NCAA. So I feel like it's pretty <laughs> transparent. Um, like what it was kind of for and i just don't i don't totally buy that it's like hurts culture because like the reason the person's leaving is because they to some degree didn't like the culture right yeah, um and so point. that's either the coach's fault or you know maybe it's just not the right fit for the player and so you know i feel like to some degree it'll make coaches like as you mentioned earlier jared it's going to make coaches give more realistic pitches it also will make them you know probably um, have to like develop stronger relationships even with guys who aren't you know the stars of their team or like you know really yeah. prominent role players at the moment um, I don't know if that'll have you know a, a um, concrete impact on the field uh, besides everyone just feeling more fulfilled but you know <laughs> <laughs> that's nice yeah <laughs> but how many wins did you have yeah. That's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I don't know maybe they knows. maybe they should just move to contract for players you know, mm. no, but none of the schools want to do that though because they want to keep their nonprofit status. Name, image, and likeness is the only way you can do that. Yeah, but I yeah. mean, basically, yeah. I don't know. Everybody knows that the NCAA has in college football has moved away from just mediocre or what do they call it? Amateur. Amateur, Amateur. student athletes, you know, competing against each other. They're this is like a professional ran program and a professional ran league, you could call it. And these players and these coaches are making professional money. These players essentially can make professional money through the, uh, you know, likeness uh, option. But why don't they just, as far as like the transfer portal is concerned, if these if these coaches really don't want to see it, sign their players to contract. <clears throat> yeah. And Bart to to back you up about the new people coming in and coaches don't know who to replace. At least allow a certain amount of your cap space of your whatever. That has to be dedicated to high school recruits, where you can't yeah, take okay. a scholarship up for a transfer person. You have uh-huh. to; it has to be used on high school recruits. Uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah, I agree with that because I think cool. like that you almost like run the risk of like smaller schools becoming like de facto minor leagues or like yeah. a training ground for um, big time schools. Like you can maybe like 
No, you could go to, I don't know, like a Houston or something like that, like a good but not like top tier school and like play your freshman and sophomore year and then leave your junior year to go play for Michigan or for Notre Dame or for USC or Alabama once like it's become clear that they need a new quarterback. To go compete for a national championship or for exposure. Because then again, that's a a structural thing as far as college football is concerned. Oh, these are actually decent programs like Houston and Cincy and SMU or something like Mm -hmm. that. It's a structural thing. No, I mean, and I totally agree. It's... I rant all the time about how the structure of college football is awful. Yeah. But yeah. The NCAA what a is just constantly bottlenecking the ability of players, for players to, to move, coaches to build programs, things like that. Mm-hmm. Where they just yeah. only allow LSU, Notre, uh, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Alabama to, to compete for national championships. And then these players or have to move to these bigger schools and these coaches have to move to these bigger schools and then now everybody has to move and now we don't want everybody to move. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make any sense as far as what the actual goal is. Because, mm. I, I mean, you want to have, you know, 100 competitive, it's unrealistic, but 100 competitive college football teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at least, maybe at least 50, not four. <laughs> the other thing uh, with name, image, and likeness is obviously I don't think we have enough sample size yet, but... Do players prefer to be a big fish in a small pond or a small yeah. fish in a big pond? Mm-hmm. And how, is that is that going to change the dynamics of recruiting? Like, well, you could be the best wide receiver in Houston history, or just a a dime a dozen at Alabama. You'll you'll be playing the national championships, but um, I don't know. You're not going to have the same notoriety that you would probably maybe in the Houston market. I don't know. Yeah. I tend to think, though, that, like, it's probably still favors the big schools. Like, yeah, so much of, like, well, like what I was saying, I think it's completely correct in that, like, structurally, college football is set up to have, like, the big schools succeed. And I do, like, while I agree that, like, in theory, it's really good that players should be able to move and stuff, I do think exactly what I was saying. Like, it exacerbates the problem of, like, okay, guys are just going to essentially use it as minor leagues to transfer to Alabama at the end. And that just, like feels a culture where like people don't go to Houston to make a four-year commitment to win a national championship. They go there so they can later go to Alabama or something like that. Mm. And then plus, like, I think with NIL stuff, like you were saying as well, I think that further, like kind of exacerbates it too. Cause like every player on Notre Dame's offensive line got like a chili deal or something like (laughs) and stuff like that. So it's like, like that's just not going to happen at Houston or at SMU or at Cincy. Um, like the the backup left tackle is not going to get an endorsement deal there, but you have to like. So I think while you might shine at Houston and get a deal, I think the odds are probably greater of you getting some nil deal as a backup or like a role player at a big school rather than if you're at a small school, you have to like be the star, and it's not just mm. going to happen for anybody. Mm. So. Yeah. I think that's fair. Also, Jared, to your to your whole non compete thing, I, I just took a whole class of contracts and yes. non competes are often seen as ruled um, to be like unfair and unenforceable. So I don't know. How <laughs> really? With that? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fullerton Lumber versus Torborg. I'll read up that. I'll read up on that one. How, how many pages? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It was like ten in my text. Oh, okay. Okay. Easy <laughs> pictures. <laughs> are there parts where i can color it's a picture (laughs) it's about lumber policy in wisconsin in the 50s so it's not exactly thrilling (laughs) content but the court did say that like non-competes are usually can often be seen as excessive and unenforceable and they'll either knock them out or modify them to make them more better 
interesting. Darn. Good okay. law language okay. there to say more better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> General yeah. workshop his yeah. idea. You can you can yeah. tweak the details. And that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Since when does the NCAA care about laws though? Let's be honest. That's a good no. problem. <laughs> no. Only when somebody money. else is making yeah. money. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Only when a when a kid gets spot lunch by a, you know. A <laughs> yeah. Really, this is the height of corruption, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay moving on to our last topic of the day um as jared i think talked about last week there was you know kind of a, a big thing happened in the f1 world uh lewis hamilton was potentially robbed of a win um and his eighth uh title in the abu dhabi grand prix max verstappen via i don't know some random stuff with a safety car <laughs> those technical <laughs> terms all of it yeah um, was able to overtake hamilton who pretty much was was handily uh winning the whole race uh, but lewis hamilton was very gracious in defeat even though his team was kind of initially pushing to appeal the result. um so on that topic we've got you know the lewis hamiltons of the world the tim duncans those that are kind of celebrated as class acts you know even keeled um and then we've got the other end of the spectrum to some degree with Michael Jordan and Tom Brady, who are known for their kind of win-at-all-costs attitude. And, and kind of both of those are, to some degree, celebrated, right, in our, our sports culture. Um, so, Lucas, uh, which, which archetype um, of an athlete is more celebrated and revered? I think this is a pretty easy question. I think it is, without a doubt, the win-at-all-costs athlete is celebrated yeah. much more than the class act athlete ever is and i've got a whole thesis like a page of notes oh, no. on this i'll try and keep it <laughs> concise but let's Wake just look at some people <laughs> <laughs> um, pictures? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. not a visual podcast so it doesn't matter anyway let's look at the people who are celebrated as the goats in the sports we talk about the most football mentioned in the open tom brady absolutely win at all costs type guy efficient cutthroat cheats even if he, does, he <laughs> sometimes and, allegedly um yeah he'll take money cuts on his paycheck so they can sign better players he's like the ultimate win at all costs type guy um basketball michael jordan again like we said the quintessential win at all costs type of guy i think too if looking at basketball i think kobe is also put into this bracket too and i think sometimes mm -hmm. we overrate kobe is an absolutely top 10 player of all time but i think we maybe move him a little bit too high up on the list sometimes because he fits into that archetype rather than a guy like duncan mm. um who's the class act and lastly uh f1 i thought i'd throw out there too um if you don't see lewis hamilton as the greatest of all time then it's probably michael schumacher who is also definitely a win at all costs type guy who would like run his opponents off the track in like their last race of the season in order to win championships and once was like disqualified for the entire season because of it the counter argument for all of like the major sports you can maybe make is babe ruth in baseball but he played like a hundred years ago and like <laughs> He just got drunk in between games. And, like, I don't, I think there's just like a different era in sports that we look at than we have now. Um, but I think now we always choose the one at all costs guy. And I have three reasons uh, why I think this is. First, um, I think they're more interesting stories. Um, there's not much to say about a guy like Tim Duncan or Lewis Hamilton other than, like, wow, what a nice dude who actually won or was graceful in defeat or whatever. But, like, the story doesn't go much beyond that. With MJ or with Brady, um, in addition to winning, we get more interesting stories. Like, Tim Duncan is never going to single-handedly try and embarrass someone because they have the smallest slight against them. Like, we get those really great stories with Jordan. 
Joe Montana or Jerry Rice or someone like that is not going to try and deflate the other team's balls or steal their plays <laughs> to win games. Like those things don't happen. So we get more interesting stories with one at all costs guys. Whereas again with Duncan or Hamilton, it's just like, wow, he's so nice. And he won like good for him. Um, second, I think we, and like pretty related. I think we like complex characters or at least they're more interesting. Um, and MJ and Brady are much more complex characters than the class act in sports. Um, again, with Lewis or Tim Duncan, it stops and ends with, wow, it's cool that nice guy won. But I'm not really sure either Michael Jordan or Tom Brady are good people. But I think they're really interesting and complex people. Like, I think, like, in, like, movies and books and stories, like, we, we crave the complex characters so much more than we crave the, um, like, just the simple, like, one-note characters. And, like... These guys are so singularly driven by one thing. I think it's really compelling to watch like all the lengths that they will go to. And you just don't have that to the extent with, um, you know, the class acts. And finally, I think when it all costs, guys are more revered because I think we, we like believe sports to be this great meritocracy. And I think it's easier to see it in like when it all costs type guys. Um, well, I think we like espouse often that we want the people who are nice and good people to win. I don't really think that's true. I think what we want to see is the people who work the hardest to get there to win. And the win at all costs guys make it way more obvious that they are hard workers. Um, and so they get seen as the guys who work the hardest to get there and thus reward for it. Um, but I think, again, they just make it more obvious. And then that's not to like slight someone like Lewis or Duncan. I think they obviously work just as hard to get there. They're just as talented in every way, but because they make all those things less obvious, it's sort of harder to latch onto that narrative of, oh, they're a hard worker. They did it um, for the success. But I think just because, you know, they are class acts. They don't want to brag. They don't want to be showy. It becomes less apparent. And so again, they're just less compelling narratives. So yeah, I think it breaks down to those three things. I think the fact that we get more interesting stories from when it all costs guys, um, that these guys are, those when it all costs guys are more complex characters um, than class acts makes them more compelling to watch and become revered and seen as all-time greats. Like the one example I think of too is like, especially with that last point of like better embodying the working hard, the Michael Jordan story of him getting cut from his high school basketball team and the Tom Brady story of him getting drafted in the sixth round are like near mythic proportions at this point to the fact that like you can't tell like the story of those guys without telling about like the early struggles they face. And while I'm sure like Lewis Hamilton and Tim Duncan face lots of like struggles in their life and getting to where they were, you don't know about them because they don't talk about them. It's not as obvious that they like overcame all these obstacles and were winning at all costs. So I think like just those two things alone really sort of embody why we like value these win at all cost guys over um, class acts in sports. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Okay, so hold on. I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but can I just say one thing? Mm -hmm. I, I wonder whether we're not just like conflating celebrating people who are like this with the fact that people who are like that are often just the most successful because they're like that. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like you, Jordan is arguably the goat. And so mm -hmm. he's an easy example. Um, likewise for Tom, Tom Brady's like objectively the goat quarterback at the very least, if not goat player. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, what I, I guess what I'm saying is if you had a clone of Michael Jordan, who was actually just a soft spoken, even keeled class ad kind of guy who also won six rings, would he necessarily still be less revered than the actual Michael Jordan? I'm not so sure about that. I think he was. I, I, I agree I with Lucas's no, thesis. I, agree with Bart. I think LeBron oh. is a, a classic example of somebody who is much more mm. even keeled, yeah. less competitive. Yeah, and he's Jordan. arguably more beloved, right? He's more. I don't think so. I don't. His myth is not as great as Jordan's is. Yeah. 
Okay, well, now we're getting into the very abstract is myth. Do you want to quantify that for me? <laughs> well, I mean, how many 10 part documentaries have been made about LeBron? I mean, he objectively has, he has, anyway, he has weight in every single goat argument along with Jordan. So I don't think it's that black and white. But I think that it, on the weight of it all, I think more people would choose Jordan as the greatest of all time. Like, we just like, we see Jordan's highs as higher and we see and sort of overlook the downsides. Like the fact that he didn't win a title until like 10 years into his career. The fact that he didn't even make the NBA finals until like 10 years into his career. Like we overlook those sort of things because he's built this like mythos around himself. It's like, I will do anything to win and I'm the winner. But Jordan was a loser for like the first almost decade of his career, but we forget all that mm -hmm. because that, whereas LeBron, who is I think just like a nicer, more even keel class act type of guy, who's obviously very competitive and one, one of the top two basketball players of all time, doesn't <laughs> sort of get that grace in his faults yeah. because he's not seen as a win-at-all-costs type of guy. Like, the thing that hounds LeBron is, you know, he's lost, like, he's 4-6 and six in NBA Finals, is that correct at this point? 4-7? and seven? Something like that. But, like, Jordan didn't even make the Finals until late into his career. So I think, like, the fact that Jordan's, like, self-identity is so wrapped up in his being, like, I will do anything to win is that, like, we only look at that as his identity and not the losses. Whereas... Because LeBron just, like, doesn't, like, embody that as much. We, like, give him a more, probably fair, like, assessment of his legacy. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah one um, kind of counterexample that I was, I was trying to think of counterexamples. Um, <laughs> one that I think we vaguely discussed in the past in the show is, like, uh, Djokovic in tennis. He's, like, mm -hmm. currently tied for the most tennis majors in history with 20. He will almost undoubtedly break it. He's tied with Federer and Nadal, who are both way older. Um, Djokovic is still pretty much in his prime, um, and we'll we'll break it. We'll probably be on paper the best tennis player of all time. Um, I mean, this is my opinion, um, but he's definitely. I would not say he's in any way more revered than Federer or Nadal, um, and I don't think he will be. And I think a lot of that has to do with his kind of attitude and the fact that he has not been. He is kind of a win-at-all-cost guy. Um, but I yeah. think in this case, it's probably, like, this is, tennis is a different sport, right? It's it's not basketball or football or hockey. Um, it's more polite and country clubby yeah. uh, to some yeah. extent. And etiquette kind of holds weight. But I, I do think it's interesting how it does kind of vary from sport to sport, I guess, how much that attitude um, is kind of, yeah, how much weight is put into it. Or just to piggyback off of this tennis take, Serena Williams, who I think is as gracious as they come, and she's also very competitive, but I don't know. Like she, I think she's widely regarded as not only just she's one of the best athletes of all time, especially the best female athlete of all time. Um, and, you know, Lucas, you you said it. You don't – non-competitive people and non, people without drive don't get to the position where they are. Like LeBron James, if he's not competitive. Like Peyton Manning, who is, you know, a pretty – uh, funny guys, funny TV guy, great personality, look, looks good in the commercials, all that stuff like that. Very competitive guy. Serena Williams, uh, she is competitive, and she's always lost with grace at the same time. So it's just like, <clears throat> yeah. I don't know, it's made up. And then Michael Jordan's stories are just made up. Like, it's like uh, the flu game, like, it's just the flu game, and it's a little bit of adversity. And I think in, in to to give my my actual official opinion, I think that Celebrities like Michael Jordan are more um, 
revered and all that, but it's just because it's visible. And it's because yeah. people can actually be like, oh, well, yeah. he's clearly competitive and Le- LeBron James yeah. loves to lose, apparently. But it's like LeBron James <laughs> has been a prodigy since he was 16 years old. How how could he possibly love to lose? It's just like <clears throat> people can't like, and I, I think especially non-competitive people or people who don't actually succeed in major sports think that like they because they can't see with LeBron uh, or with other Tim Duckins, it doesn't exist. You know, mm-hmm. not to take a dig at people yeah. who never play. You can con- you can control the narrative more when it's mm-hmm. when it's visible. Right. That's why. Yeah. That's like yeah. why Michael Jordan's myth is so big. I think that growing up though, I I think growing up when you're like the way you're taught and the media wants athletes to be all of these at once, like mm-hmm. they want you to be the win at all cost guy, but they also like if you lose and you like give a two minute press conference, they're like, oh look at how disrespectful this guy is. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like. You can't you you can't have it both ways, but they want it both ways. Is kind of is kind of I think media wise, if you look at the culture of celebrity of an athlete, they want you to be all of these at once. Yeah, I will, however, say it's pretty interesting now as far as and I'm just I'm just thinking about the NBA. Kevin Durant, um, Giannis, LeBron, Kawhi, pretty even keel guys. I know Kevin Durant is very big on social media, but he's not like the the competitive part. I don't know. It just it doesn't speak out the same way that Kobe and Michael Jordan have. I wonder just how people are going to remember them, you know, as far as yeah. their legacies go. Especially like a guy like Giannis and Kawhi, where it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, they're Kawhi is especially very quiet. He's Tim Duncan esque, yeah. and uh, Giannis is like Peyton Manning, where he's funny and he's you know goofy and he's charming mm-hmm. and he has a good smile, like stuff like that. Yeah, but not necessarily. Yeah, I wondered. Like, punching holes in walls and punching his teammates in the locker room type thing. There's not going to be a story about Giannis who, you know, like he did this crazy thing the night before and all of a sudden, like he put up the most incredible game we've ever seen. Like it just doesn't like those stories won't come out. I don't think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think it's curious too. Cause I do think like, like you referenced why we're in like an age of very likable stars in the NBA. Um, and I wonder like, how that'll be seen and like how this era of basketball will be viewed differently because of it. Cause I feel like there's always the narrative. And I think this is just like people being like nostalgic for their time growing up, but they're always like this era of basketball is softer than it used to be. Yeah. Like people don't play like they used to. And like, if you look at all the stats, like people put up like 140 points per game in like the eighties sometimes, like people are not playing as good of like rough defense as people always say, even if you just watch like game footage. But I wonder if, because like, all the stars are kind of likable and even keel guys now. If it'll be seen as like a less momentous era of basketball, I even think Steph Curry too, like also sort of fits into that. I think Steph is a very likable guy as well. Yeah. Um, but if you like look to the eighties, like and like nineties, it's like the bad boys Pistons who would like like destroy other teams and win at all costs. And it's Michael Jordan and it's Larry Bird and it's Magic Johnson, all of whom were like that fit that model of like when it all costs, like maybe not great people, but like ultra competitive type thing. Yeah. Magic, I think was like a good and likable guy, but mm-hmm. I guess I'm thinking more of like Larry Bird and Michael Jordan, all of that. Yeah. But. And that's the thing is I, we're still grateful to have the Russell Westbrooks, you know, and the, mm-hmm. the people that are screaming at their teammates and like screaming at the other <laughs> team during the game. It's good to have those as much as um, the like Tim Duncan's, but I, I always wonder, like, if I, w- if I, like, were a professional athlete, if I ever, if I did become one in another life, like, 
which which path would I choose? Would I want to be like the showboaty, like make headlines guy, or would I would I be like just do your own thing and keep your mouth shut kind of guy? I, like it's under, it's interesting how athletes choose kind of which path they want to take there. Yeah. I always thought it was interesting. Yeah, well, I think like you know, we've referenced him so many times. I think Tim Duncan is inarguably like the most underrated player in NBA history. Like he is one of the best resumes of any player that's ever played. But he's never even mentioned in the same breath as like. Like Jordan or LeBron Probably or Kobe even, or yeah, Bird even Kobe, or, you know, yeah, than Kobe. Yeah, and it's like Kobe's a great character. Kobe. He did so much for the game, yeah. and like because of his personality, like he was iconic. And like you cannot deny that about Kobe. When you when you look at resumes, like. Duncan has like be- probably better than Shaq resume, better than like of the, his like contemporaries. Duncan probably has the best resume of like guys who were peaking in the late '90s, early 2000s. But because he was so even keeled, he just doesn't get a lot of credit for it. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps up our show for the week. Um, Make sure that you are subscribing on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on SoundCloud, wherever you're listening to us. Follow us on social media, on Twitter, and on Instagram at YouThoughtSport. Got some great content on there all the time. Whitey's making some incredible Instagram content that you got to check out. Throw it a like, share it with your friends, and tune in next week for our next show. Number 110 will be a good one.